Welcome to the India Fintech Diaries, the only podcast focused exclusively on the Indian fintech market. I'm Elroy. And I'm Himan. In each episode, we dive into the latest trends, ideas, innovations, business models, and personalities that are shaping India's fintech landscape. We also invite amazing guests who are innovators and industry players that are driving the change that is helping make financial services more modern, innovative, and inclusive in India. Come join us as we explore the changing landscape of fintech in India. Hello, and welcome to India Fintech Diaries, the podcast series where we delve into all things Indian fintech. As we approach the year end, Heyman, looking back at the beginning of the year, did you anticipate the absolute roller coaster of a ride that we had in the Indian fintech landscape this year? Roy, we have been tracking this sector for quite some years now, just on the podcast itself for about three years. But I must say it's, it's been quite a ride, a different type of year that we have than what we've seen for many years. But before we dive into the year-end reflections, I'm thrilled to welcome our special guest for today, Naveen Surya. Actually, Naveen plays multiple roles in the fintech ecosystem and has contributed immensely to its growth. And I have been witness to that. So any attempt that I can make to intro Naveen would not do a justice. So Naveen, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> Thanks. Evanta and Delroy, uh, pleasure to be here. In fact, I was already thinking of thrill of the roller coaster. So, okay, simple. <laughs> I think uh, in my current role, I'm more like a, a thought leader for fintech from India. I do a lot more investing now. I've bought 15 startup companies uh, in fintech as a portfolio. And I also am part of a fund called Beans Venture Capital, uh, which is the only exclusive and focused uh, fintech focused fund uh, growth stage. And we have bought uh, more investments there and in process of doing two more. So yeah, other than that, I contribute uh, to a lot of advisory boards as well as uh, board across the fintech and financial services. I mean, uh, enough with, with being very, very humble about it. But I mean, I have one complaint, even though we do not have as much money as you have, but you should invite us sometime when you get a good fintech to invest in. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> I know Beam has been done doing a really great job following the news. But I mean, one more thing that I would like to talk about before we get into the conversation is the Global Fintech Festival. So a big congratulation on the phenomenal success of the festival for 2023. And I was just amazed by the unprecedented scale that it was done. And I think it is now the largest global fintech festival, if I'm not wrong, right? That's correct. In terms of scale, uh, it became the largest in September 20. Awesome. So, I mean, I think a lot of people still, because it is Bombay, some of some of the people would have missed it. So, why don't you talk a bit about the success of this year's festival so that they don't miss the posture next year? Absolutely. So, uh, I think it's a we needed a thought leadership platform for the country to kind of talk to the world uh, across the fintech ecosystem. And uh, this has been back of our mind. And of course, Hemant, you were part of this initiative, right, from our very early days, right? And we just started yeah. conceiving at the association. I was the chair and also the founder right. of the FinTech Convergence Council. So the whole property was conceived between three entities, the uh, Payment Council of India, which again, I was the mm-hmm. chairman of this, and uh, uh, FinTech Convergence Council, as well as NPCI. And idea was very simple that there are so many things that India has done, and we have already become the third largest ecosystem. And hopefully in a few years, will become probably second and eventually first a matter of time. Now, how do we interact a lot more with the whole world as to what has happened and also learn from them? And we realize within the ecosystem, there wasn't really an integrated platform where everybody 
from a regulator, government, to startups, to financial services institutions, to a startup investors, uh, mm. and let's say academia. Uh, so you name every stakeholder is part of, we couldn't find any. And of course, uh, during my entrepreneurial role over 25 plus years, uh, we've seen mm. multiple global uh, platforms. And uh, unfortunately, all two or three of them, which were really global world's class, are outside India. And interestingly, participation from India also has been pretty high in those. Uh, those I mean, one of the closer to India had about 30-40% Indian or Indian origin people. And we realized yeah. that being attended, we could not really get the outcome, desired outcome uh, that we wanted. So we always were figuring out that how can we bring that. So first three years, we did a virtual mainly due to COVID. And even in mm. the virtual platform, we were the largest. Then we did even our maiden year. And then last two years, we did a physical conference in Mumbai, Geo Convention Center. We must give a big uh, thanks to them because of the facility that they've made. as a world class. And last right. year, if I give you some of the success metrics, uh, we had, uh, so it was a three-day event, uh, three-day kind of festival. We saw over 65,000 full footfalls over three days. We had over wow. uh, uh, 600 plus, 600 to 800 uh, participants for our exhibitions, uh, including some of them are global uh, consulates to uh, global companies, to a uh, uh, largest network like NPCI, to uh, largest banks like SDFC, SBI. So you name anybody who matters in the ecosystem, they were all there exhibiting. Uh, we had over 900 speakers and uh, about 300 of them were global speakers across 120 countries so you name any metrics i think there were about 13 uh, thought leadership reports got released we had multiple uh, closed door roundtables right from our regulators to our government uh, uh, leaders and again mm. uh, industry experts and there were also a lot of workshops product launches uh, npci had launched three interesting products three to four interesting products and of course we had from the speaker participation from right from governor to cb chair to IIDA chair, to IFSCA chair. So whoever matters, it was a it had, it became a single platform where in three days you could probably do your uh, one year's worth of work. And in a feedback that I received from some of the exhibitors whom we have been talking very closely. Uh, so I remember in a first year when they exhibited, they said that uh, compared to any other event where we get about 15 days, 30 days pipeline, here we got three mm. months. And this year right. we got the feedback that their pipeline got created over six months in terms of queries. Now, obviously, we don't know how much can happen. Uh, one interesting aspect, this year we also did a lot of active uh, financial, uh, sorry, investors meet and investors sessions, and also right. a lot of startup, let's say, pitching. And uh, again, over, if I'm not wrong, 300 or 400 investors participated. Again, you name local or global investors, all of them were there. We saw probably over $2 billion worth of conversations around investment between investors and startups in three days. So if you see from mm -hmm. impact, I don't think anybody has that kind of a matrix. The only one area I think at the concluding end, we were generally thinking that there are some feedback that we received. We'll work on them. But primarily now the focus will be on globalizing this event to increase the participation of the global ecosystem. So there were about three to four global uh, industry, uh, country partners like uh, Japan, Australia. But I think that right. will be further expanded so slightly longest but uh, i think it turned out to be better than even i imagined so it's like a dream come true from uh, i think one time i remember this is a line dream to reality so we could see mm -hmm. it and a few of the lucky ones to see it happen right there yeah absolutely absolutely and i mean you as you have seen both 
side of the game, right? You have been a founder and now you're an investor as well. And you have seen this industry evolve from when it was not called fintech to now when it is a segment that receives maximum amount of funding within the startup world. From that perspective, this year has been a little different, right? It's been a slightly slow year as far as funding is concerned. And if you look at just numbers, I think Fintech raised about $2.1 billion uh, this year compared to $5.8 billion in the same period for last year. And out of that also, about $750 million was just one company, which was PhonePay. So as an investor yourself, what is your assessment of this year's funding activity of how it has transpired? And do you see for, or do you foresee improvements in on the horizon? So I think if you look at the statistics, I think they themselves tell the story. So obviously right. there has been a little bit of a slowdown compared to last couple of years. But again, let's compare the hyperactivity that happened in a one particular year, right? Around 2021. So right. if you remove that one year, then if you look at, let's say, plot the chart from 1920, you will find that we are more closer back to the, let's say, steady state normal of 2021. Hmm. Uh, especially 20, okay. not 2021, 20, 22 was a hyper. 20, yeah. But I would say one thing very clearly, Heman, that it doesn't necessarily reflect the only factor of are there any challenges within the sector. It's largely to do with macroeconomic situation and the overall liquidity mm. situation in the global markets. And it is probably not for just the fintech sector. So right. in general, there has been a trend and I don't have a ready data. You guys do, but you can surely yeah. put those out uh, if required in a comment section or somewhere that I think if you look at the e-commerce sector, if you look at the startup sector, look at the tech sector. In fact, right. if you compare then, so it's not isolated to just the fintech sector. I think this has been a general trend in terms of a capital availability. So there has mm. been a hyperactivity we all know around 2021 uh, because of a lot of people sitting at home, ideal capital coming in, some measures done by US, Fed, etc. And then suddenly you saw a lot of hype, right? And interestingly, I also saw that it all started with the hype in the U.S. stock markets, especially on the public markets, then suddenly melting mm. down, affecting India. And mm. uh, my belief has not changed from there and now. I would still say I still believe that the India as a for a fintech and a financial services will remain the largest market over the next two, two and a half decade. Reasons are very simple, Hemant and Roy. Look at markets like U.S., right, where the meltdown happened. If I'm a fintech in a, any developed market, including US, our opportunity to make a difference and a grow is only incremental because the penetration of all the financial services has already happened I and mean, it's already at the peak, matured level. So you could only do an incremental difference in terms of experience. You're not able to expand the market. You're not able to let's say, get the complete new set of a market or a customers uh, or very marginally, if at all. Now, if you look at India on the contrast, while we also saw certain companies got listed, they also got benefit of hype, then their meltdown also affected here. And we follow a global trend in most of our markets now, at least on the public side. And that sentiment started growing and let's say affecting uh, late stage funding to some extent, even early stage uh, after some time. But if you see the major difference, if you look at India in financial services, other than banking and payments, which are in, let's say banking is slightly late, late stage two-digit uh, two-digit two penetration. Payments still early stage two-digit penetration, somewhere around 20-25%. If you talk about every other sector within, whether it's insurance, whether it's lending, whether it is uh, wealth, you're talking about very early days, single-digit uh, penetration. And then you look at suddenly other statistics, the India's economy growing, right? From a 10th right. to now suddenly becoming, uh, becoming fifth. And now we're gunning for third. 
So you're seeing the sheer economic activity growing. You're seeing the income levels growing within India. You're seeing the large youth population, which is driving one of the highest adoption rate in a fintech across the globe, over 68%. And you combine all these factors, this penetration is only going to go up much higher. And even if it were to reach a respectable level of, let's say, 30 to 40%, you have at least about 10, 20 years to reach those mature matrices, what everybody else has. So the difference that I was trying to say is that the here, there is a real opportunity. So incidentally, even if you see on the public market sentiments, and I keep asking a lot of analysts that I meet that you saw the meltdown on the stock market prices, but was it mm-hmm. really driven by the business performance? Please look at their business data. Has any of those companies saw drastic decline in their revenues or a growth? I don't think the answer is yes to that. The reality is their business matrices continue to grow, steady state growth. In fact, very healthy growth, if I'm not wrong. Uh, at mm-hmm. least between 20 to 40 percent, uh, depending on the sector they're working. So the fact remains that there is a large opportunity that remains in India. The penetration is still very low. Uh, the adoption rate is high. Income levels are growing. A uh, lot of macroeconomics is working for India. And we see no reason that the fintech and the financial services businesses will not grow. I mean, there is no reason they can. In fact, that's a very steady state growth. Uh, the business models are improving. The infra that we have from the public uh, digital kind of side is amazing. There's no parallel in the world. So you combine all of this, our conviction and uh, focus remains very, very high. And uh, as I said, I'm as excited as I was 20 years back, probably when the fintech word wasn't coined to continue to invest in this. The only thing that it has done is obviously the extra hype that it had, it melted down. Now, there were times which you and I and all of us know that it was a fashion probably for a just the school kids to go out and say, hey, we are setting this app up out and get launching now, I think those things have got settled in the process. Everybody's understood that while you're doing, doing a fintech, but fin has to, the finance part has to come first, compliance and a governance has to come first. Tech has to support it. It can't be tech first and a fin later. So those things have settled. That's only good for a mature market and a going towards growth and maturity. Now, I mean, just shifting focus now to digital lending. Now, digital lending has been one of the key revenue generators for most retail-focused fintechs. And it got a real uh, growth boost this year when the re- regulator greenlighted first loss default guarantees and the much-anticipated uh, credit line on UPI. I have two questions for you. The first question is, what's this 5% uh, FLDG that was given that was in line with industry expectations? And the second question is, uh, the credit line on UPI, which uh, uh, actually shares a very strong resemblance to the OD product, which was launched in uh, OD on UPI, which was launched in uh, 2018. Do you think uh, what factors are different this time that will make this a success while OD actually really uh, failed to take off? Sure. So let me go back to your first question on FLD. I think the major pain for the industry was when it got stopped. And incidentally, this question did came up because it was already stopped before GFF 22 and governor was there on the dais. And he himself said that that we know that there are some concerns that we have. That's why we have stopped FLD. It doesn't mean that it will not come back. And that was a huge relief for everybody. And of course, it still took a lot of time by the time it got revived. So I think the major pain to the industry in my assessment, working at FCC with the lending group was not having it. Now, as question or as to answer whether 5% is adequate or not, I mean, there will always be a player saying that this is high, this is low, this is not good enough. My rational answer to that is I think it's reasonable. It's correct. Okay. To see the term itself, it's first loss guarantee, right? So any right. lending... Right. If you have an NPA more than 
or if there is a npa five more than 5% and that is supposed to be borne by the fintech player then uh, what business are they in right that was a question that rbi was asking anyways that are they yeah. the customer acquirer or are they the risk taker are they the balance sheet guys or are they the the tech guys so Correct. i think the reality is that why should you even hit 5% i mean it's a more of a cushion that you've given but the reality is an actual business metrics it's supposed to cover the losses and if you are doing a business which has anticipating losses more than much higher than these percentages and you are supposed to contribute it it's actually wrong business to be in, in any case so rationally i personally find this number pretty okay and i think uh, seems fine so that's a first question answer the second bit i think uh, i'll i'll say that see in the journey of upi i mean if you go back in a history we see the success but we forget how many years it took right there was the first attempt with mmids i'm sure himant would remember you would also remember yeah. Yeah. it was with mobile number then right and then we had multiple solutions before you see the upi in its current avatar so we forget that a journey for any product success story is never a straight you know high growth line going from you know south to north it's always a spiral and it's yeah. a cycle that it is flowing the opportunity is extremely large for the credit on upi we all know it Uh, per se the credit to an end consumer anyway is a huge opportunity and much less underpenetrated the reality is right. there is a large section of consumers who still don't get it when they need it and that's why again we've seen advent of some other models i would say it's a evolution cycle and the reality is that before you reach that success there will be multiple attempts in a trial it doesn't mean that one has failed over others or other is more successful than the first one i think it's just a cycle that we're running this is a continuous Uh, i would say innovation that the industry ecosystem is doing with npci they will have to keep evolving and keep trying new stuff till the time we are fully successful this consistency perseverance is critical to get the success and if you go back in history of all the success story that india had whether it's a uidi whether it's a again we are seeing account aggregated to some extent in a similar cycle right so you will see that evolution happening i would say it's too early days to compare or say that whether the earlier model was good or this is the you know improvement over the earlier model and this is better i would say generally it's an interesting product opportunity is large it will need to continuously evolve with the feedback from customers and the ecosystem and i think that process is on now we sticking with digital lending i think the other main thing that we've seen right because of the shift in consumer behavior especially over covid the unsecured retail uh, retail lending space has seen a very rapid growth about uh, 25 to 26% cagr over the last 5 years However, the retail loan book, particularly for low-ticket uh, loans, which is like the sub fifty k uh, range, right, is actually showing very early signs of very stre- stress, and larger portion of these customers are kind of over leveraged. So, in response, I think one of the key uh, things that happened this year is that RBI very recently raised the risk weights for consumer credit products. Now, does this suggest that the fintech model and the RBI was also in its uh, in the note that it sent out along with the risk rate increase? it also mentioned a bit about the various fintech models as well so does it really mean that the fintech uh, model of running a profitable small ticket consumer loan business is kind of facing some amount of headwinds and uh, also could this potentially put a spanner in the works for where the fintech consumer loan loan growth story will go to well i would say yeah there are headwinds uh, which is surely there but uh, would it really stop these uh, vehicles or a plane to start you know to continue flying i don't think so Uh, I always say this that see in a journey of newer developments and evolution, and to some extent I had answered your previous question yeah. also in this. There is always a evolution in a cycle, and let's not forget that even within the credit, 
there is a cycle right and i remember early 2004-5 so the credit card boom was very high and then suddenly around 4-5 a lot of stress was seen and then suddenly a lot of stringent actions were taken correct so two two things i mean one is i think the general concern of rbi is about not to have this as a habit or a, as a product which can lead to a you know bad behavior in the consumer or lead them to a stressful situation later on to overcome these uh, indebtedness right so that's a one part and secondly while i personally don't believe but i keep hearing that there is also a, a domino or a cascading effect that they want to avoid uh, which i think in a retail book usually because of the aggregate size not being so high you don't see that higher a systemic risk uh, versus a wholesale book Correct. but i would say that a risk is a risk right it could lead to few other things like inflation etc so reality is that rbi has proven so many times right right and they and we're blessed to have an amazing regulator like rbi and their policies sometimes as on the industry side we do criticize but the reality is we also acknowledge that whatever they have done has actually led the uh, led the indian economy to a safer and a better place so i think it's their wisdom they keep will taking action and i always keep saying that you know it's a fintech highway where you will see from regulators and government and a policy makers sometimes speed breakers but not necessarily a closer i mean you'll really see that unlike china right so right. you will surely see these speed breakers when are required even if you are on a highway you don't drive at the same speed all the time right you need to slow down you need to see what changes i have to do in the speed according to traffic or the road condition so that's Correct. what is happening i would say it's 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 still evolving very early days i think everybody who is in this business will keep have to take note of these developments and start working learning and evolving the model continuously and it's good for them right if they're they're doing some activity they'll be more careful to avoid higher losses or higher stress in their book looking at this navin has a related question right uh, given all these changes that we have seen in the lending space do you foresee a lot of consolidation to happen uh, in the next year like very recently i think just yesterday day before credit pay actually offered to uh, kind of take over zest which has been in a lot of trouble in recent times so do you see a lot of more of this happening in the digital lending space in 2024 well i would say this way that there has been different entities who had different aspirations and uh, we've seen multiple times a common mistake not necessarily just in sector happens in every sector that sometimes you are a good tech player but but in your aspiration to become bigger or growing faster you also want to start owning the book uh, yeah. while that's a very different kind of a skill set so you will see increasingly or let's say sometimes you did you on a high growth cycle and suddenly you can't raise funds because uh, a lending business is all about raising money and collecting it's less about actually giving money out but getting in from the lenders as well as from your customers So right. you know, a lot of these things are realized over a period of time, and uh, sometimes certain companies do see a challenge. So, and let's not forget the number of MBFCs that we had, even traditionally, and even RBI themselves want to reduce those numbers to a real meaningful active business business owners. Yeah, definitely the lending consolidation will happen, but let's also not see it as a as a as a stress point. I see it as a positive point, right? If you are a company who built something good, but you attempted something, or let's say you miscalculated your cycle. it's better to work with someone who has uh, let's say those extra protection and work with them and continue to grow your business and again let's not forget the cycle within this year we've seen banks started taking over let's say even mfis or even other companies on the lending right side. right so it's a it's a cycle that will evolve and uh, an amende in india today in a fintech and a financial institution space has become real not just this year but i think last 3 years and you've seen in every sector there has been multiple uh m&a deals either within the similar players or let's say from a larger player to a smaller player 
or let's say from a cross sell perspective by a larger institution uh, of another player so i see that growing even further in general and definitely when whenever there is a specific opportunity arises in a particular sector even that and i personally see this as a positive move is only protecting your capital and value rather than destroying it yeah absolutely uh, navin because even though the way we see it is uh, multiple traditional nbfcs that we have spoken to or traditional players that we have spoken to or larger fintechs two big trends that we see there are some fintechs who are in completely different business but want to get into lending uh, which this creates a fantastic opportunity to get a team technology capability that they would require and another one more interesting one that i see is the traditional nbfcs who maybe earlier were in businesses which are not pl but it could be vehicle financing or something now trying to getting into pl and this presents a fantastic opportunity to get the tech chops which might take some time to build internally and this just gives them a opportunity to get it faster that's about it so yeah absolute positive change i agree with you one thing one more thing uh, navin which i think there was a lot of conversation around is the demerger of geo financials and as it is common whenever reliance industries thinks about entering a new space there is ripples in that space people wondering what will happen now will the the entire thing get disrupted will I, will we lose our breakfast lunch dinner everything have you also come across people talking about this well well i i have seen a lot of people talking about it and asking the similar question but i find it completely baseless and unfounded especially in a sectors mm. which are highly regulated and sensitive and i can only quote somebody who recently told me that i mean somebody who runs a bank saying that you know bank is not necessarily owned by us we just the franchise of a regulator so <laughs> so it's a simple example that that in a businesses which are very critical and important and sensitively affect the economy which are also very closely monitored and watched by the regulators and government both not just the government right there are sectors mm. where only government and some let's say intermediary right. agency but this is a proper regulated businesses and i would give you a parallel example look at sbi right now why would then any other bank exist sbi is the largest sbi is a government sponsored bank government owned bank why would anybody else require they would not let anybody else thrive by that logic right mm. but the reality is that there are so many banks and they are all thriving so i personally believe that financial services or fintech in india and there are people who still don't agree with this statement but i continue to hold this position that there's no winner takes all market in india in financial services and especially fintech you may see mm. transition i mean within payments i could tell you i've seen three cycles already as to who was the market leader and today it's still question mark there's no clear market leader right right then uh, probably one institution so that's separate uh, but if you see from a fintech perspective there's absolutely no clear that who has the kind of complete you know uh, all the game in their control it doesn't happen that and uh, i see this again as a positive development whether it's m and a whether it's investment whether it's innovation more player coming in when the market is under penetrated it means you need to invest a lot of capital it means you need to invest a lot of resources you need to do a lot of innovation so more the merrier is the theme actually we need to go i mean i, I remember mm. one a lot of people used to say let there be thousands of flower bloom which you've seen thousands mm. of probably we'll have to talk about now millions of flowers for global ecosystem right 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 I mean, actually, about two, three years back, there were two fintech models that I personally was very, very excited about, and both of them seem to be facing challenges this year. 
One is the Kirana Tech module where I was really excited. I thought it would do really well in the country where there are so many small businesses operating, Kirana shops operating. And the second is Neo Banking, slightly connected one, but still. And this year we have seen both of them struggling a bit, laying out, laying, uh, laying off people. So individually for those two, what has not worked out in your opinion, and what's hindering their growth in the country? So I think the model still works. The approach mm. of implementation probably there are lessons. Right. So if you see if you see the traditional model of a business correspondent, right? If you remove right. the tech layer of it, it was very similar, yeah. and that still works by the way. We know evolved from there. We have a pioneer by which is still working and growing. Right. The challenge has been that you had a very distinct two side of a player, either who were B two B two C or a, let's say physical physical less digital, or they were only digital. The question that you're raising, Hemant, is pure digital model a lot more because mm. probably while they could acquire a lot of customers and they could create a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, in terms of numbers of people acquired, customers acquired and some transactions, but they could not create stickiness and a revenue. That's where the challenge happened. Penetration issue still in the number of retailers versus who can do all is still very huge gap there and unfortunately. I think the real answer lies there in a balancing. It's ultimately a distribution model to reach more customers. Right. Right. And if you could get your business customer acquiring costs in a in a let's say adequate number, and if you could have a physical model, the real physical model, right? The, those who says we are physical and physical are only physical. Those who says we are tech tech first, they're only tech. There's no zero presence. Actually, somewhere you need a balance between both and a genuine mm-hmm. genuine blend of both. That's where probably it's had it. The reality is there are enough good companies still doing well. Look at Pioneer by for an example. Look at Go. Right. Look at you know so. The model has, in fact, they are making money. What they're missing is this non-linear growth because they don't use probably technology as well. And they would start doing, and many of them are also doing M&A now, including Pino. So I think the answer lies that it's still evolving. The answer is neither only physical nor only digital. The answer lies somewhere in between. And uh, like we said that somewhere the model in every service, where it was that you acquire a large number of customers without having a clear product or a revenue strategy, and then you'll figure it out. That doesn't work I mean, in a lot of places. I'm not saying the companies you named, they didn't have it, but I'm saying general mm-hmm. trend across the globe has been that you need to have a clarity. And we have seen it in US as well, right? Some of the companies, when tech, they melt down. They had some of these issues where the model was not clear what they were. So fundamentally, I think you need a more serious approach on the business model. The opportunities still exist. In fact, uh, if done rightly, actually, the cost of customer acquisition in a hybrid model is actually a lot lower. And, uh, you know, in my previous business, we were running it ourselves and we were profitable. Yeah. So I would say that the opportunity still exists. You're right that there have been some innovations who had to see challenge. And uh, I wouldn't say that's a lack of opportunity. That's probably the execution, implementation, and some of the issues probably known to them best. Uh, I wouldn't give up on this. Obviously, it needs to evolve and do more. Uh, the opportunity still remains. Naveen, I think the other bright story for of this year was actually the account aggregator platform, which you also touched upon, which is finally gathering some pace and uh, critical mass. In 2023, it actually reached a, a very important milestone of 200 million plus consents requests successfully uh, fulfilled. And along with about uh, 30 to 35 uh, financial information providers, FIPs live on the system. But however, there's still concerns about how this model could actually uh, evolve in 2024 and what's really required to uh, make it an even bigger success. So in your opinion, what are some of the things that could happen in this space that will actually propel account aggregated to higher levels of growth in 2024? So I think I would say concerns are always there whenever a new thing gets launched, right? Or a new model yeah. gets launched. Uh, 
I would put it other way around that probably those getting reduced year on year as the scale happens. Now, are we probably at the most optimal level of account aggregator as to what all they can do? Of course not. I think we are just the start of it. And the reality is that the whole banking system itself is yet to go fully on board on it and full at the full scale. Right. And we all know that the plan of the account aggregator is not limited just to the banking data. It's beyond right from GST to the tax to many other things. So if you see account aggregator in its eventual situation as a probably a data pipe for everything around customers, right? And customers, I mean, both B2B, B2C, MSME, everybody, right? And again, in a more secure and a private way, the reality is it's the dire need and we have got that model right. It works. Let me put it this right. way. We are in a phase where we have shown that it works. It works at scale and it is needed. And let's not forget that some of the newer tech model of a lending, et cetera, were also possible because of these journeys, right? That you could just get a requested uh, document from a customer for the bank and you could get it instantly and you could verify it and lesser frauds. So the benefits are proven. Now, is it evolving as fast? Well, I think it is to some extent. Do we want it to move, move even faster? Of course, we all. I mean, we all want everything as, as of yesterday because the demand is high because the market is still low, very, very, uh, let's just say low currently in terms of penetration. So we need to do a lot. I think this would turn out to be one of the biggest data repository or a connection or a pipe for all the data. On the other hand, I find it a bit surprising when I see each state government, they're trying to create their own sandboxes or a data box, data centers and you know talking to fintechs that please come to our state. We'll provide you all the data, whether it's a GST, whether it's a customer, whether it's a land record. I'm saying somewhere probably a calibration between state and a government and probably account aggregator, regulators, and framework required where they can calibrate all of this through a single model. It's just one additional suggestion that if they could actually find a way to identify each of these critical existing data, whether it's whether lying with state authorities or financial institutions or government uh, or regulators, and then continue to flow that in a private way, that's the real business model and a scale. Rather than different entities, states, and let's say different sectors trying to build their own, then probably we'll have a challenge. Because then you're always in a trial mode or you're always in a innovating innovation mode, but not in a fruition mode. Right. So I think somewhere there is a realization of that it will happen probably two or three years. The reality is it's a, it's a journey which has started seeing traction and started seeing scale, not just traction actually. Started seeing traction last year, it started seeing scale now. So I think it's a journey which has started. I don't think there's any turning back from here. It will evolve like other sectors and other services. I personally find it exciting. Now, the only part is that how exciting is it? So again, it's an infra play, right? Correct. So don't forget that you can't compare a back-end play to a front-end play, right? So those differences will remain and rightly so. You know, it's like a stock exchange versus a stock broker. Stock exchange will always have to run with its head down, make sure that the systems are running well with full protection. So the objectives are different. So some of us let's say either as a media professional or as an investor would find it slightly less exciting from that point. But let's not forget it's very critical. It's very stable. We'll have a steady state revenue. We not have huge bumps in a growth other than every time new service loading. But yeah, those the X factor may not be there, but it's a interesting business. I mean, I couldn't agree more with uh, what you just said. And I also like the fact that uh, here in India, we are actually ahead of the curve, uh, even compared to some of the Western countries. So, for example, in the United States, uh, the CFPB actually very recently introduced just a paper to indicate that they would do something like an account aggregator. There. And it's probably maybe three years or four years even from being a reality there. Absolutely. So, in that way, we're much ahead of the Western world as well. 
In fact, this could be a global system at some point. Reality is in our global remittances, you have the same challenge. Correct. So I'm saying the, the applications could be end, endless. The model works. It's already tested at scale. Naveen, the other uh, main thing that happened in uh, this year was uh, Open Network Digital Commerce, ONDC, actually expanded its network to also include financial services. And this included uh, items like uh, your mutual funds, uh, business loans, insurance, etc. on the platform. How do you see this opportunity actually expanding in 2024? And how does, the, how does this actually impact the existing financial product distribution industry as such? So if you see the broad bucket of fintech, see the value creation happens in three buckets. Uh, one, of course, is a distribution. You have uh, the first one, which is license stroke uh, customer ownership. Correct. And the third one is all the tech platforms, right? Which on which everything is run. So one of the biggest issue we always had was distribution, right? This reason of underpenetration has always been distribution issue or the cost of yeah. distribution. And uh, you go back even today, the cost, whether you take a credit card, whether you take mutual fund, whether you take insurance, the cost of distribution through a traditional means is still very high percentages, right? In some cases, still 70-80%, right? That has always been issue because that means that you cannot do low ticket size products. You cannot reach interiors. You cannot have, you know, sufficient way of delivering those services and servicing the customer. Correct. So any attempt to expand that reach is only good because the customer side, there is a demand and there is a supply on the, on the let's say, those who have a licenses and own the product. So both side is ready. It's a middle which is still evolving. Now the challenge only is that the expertise required. So more, let's say this is where the fintech role also comes in, that those who can evolve good APIs, good customer journeys for specific products for specific communities, they will see it then. So it's more of an aggregate platform, again, like a public digital infra available for everybody like, like Aadhaar, right? So right. it's, a, it's infra available and this is probably a huge opportunity for somebody who's really good in, let's say, a segment of a customer on a particular product. Can they build an amazing API for it to work across? Yeah. And they would see distraction. If you're going to just run the general automation and keep opening various products, it may see some traction, but maybe not that much of a success or maybe it will evolve over a period of time as you see the traction. But like I said that, this I welcome. Now, what will happen? It's still unclear very early days. But I definitely see this as a huge opportunity area again, the distribution per se of all financial services. And whatever is being done is a good in a way uh, in that direction. Naveen, also as the year due to close, RBI made two very interesting and very significant announcements. Uh, one was the plan to create what was called as a fintech repository. And the second was to plan, uh, plan to create a cloud uh, kind of infrastructure facility for the financial sector. It would be yeah. great to have your views on how the industry is perceiving these two recent developments. Yeah, in fact, they also announced frictionless credit sometime before. They also Correct. had live with the CBDC file. See, I think RBI has also realized that while they're regulators and while their core responsibility has always been supervising and making sure customer protection is protected. But I think over a period, especially during COVID and everything, they realized that there is also some bit of a developmental activity that they need to do. Because it's an evolving phase and a critical phase. Uh, in absence of which, probably a lot of people are doing experiments. Sometimes they are also becoming, uh, you know, uh, unwarranted accidents or, or let's say some other challenges. So I would say that I think RBI now, and especially with RBI Arch in place, which can actually do innovation and developmental activity. Uh, and Rajesh is an amazing guy there uh, running it, right? And who has seen all of it evolving. So I think they are seeing this as a critical role, especially for the fintech ecosystem and that's how again you go back to two and a half years now of a fintech department working on it rbh already put it in place 
I personally see these are very, very important ones. And some of these are in line with the industry and RBI discussion themselves, right? These are the things that industry was also confused at what needs to happen, especially with after data localization, if you take the cloud side. And similarly, if you see the repository. So let's say if, uh, and it happened a lot more around COVID and we all realized that how brave it could be. Uh, there were a lot of interesting models which evolved and grew very fast. But let's say even at that time, yeah, as a chair of a FCC, let's say if somebody was to call me and say, hey, do you know aggregate what is a volume or a business that is being dumb or what is at risk? Do you have any kind of a data? The reality is that we also wouldn't have. And we've seen increasingly with a lot more private entities, independent entities growing from a secret or a confidentiality, I won't say secret, but confidentiality aspects, they are also hesitant to share these information openly to its association or any other parties. So having a credible repository kind of a model with RBI, it becomes it becomes critical because it's just like a it's like a speed dial, right? If you don't know what speed you're working, how would you control it? So right. that can happen only when you have a data. And as I said, that the data had some legal challenges in terms of privacy. It also had concerns from a confidentiality, and you also needed a credible model for it to work. And again, any policy decisions that RBI is taking, they want to take a lot more on data, and they're used to it, right? They do monetary policy entirely based on data. Now, in absence of that, it becomes a challenge, right? Then you're just throwing a dart in a dart which I don't think they like or any of us like. So I see this as an amazing step and a right step in direction. And like I said, I see this, if not by directly RBI, but the FinTech department and the RBIH and few of the subsidies that they have uh, moving in that developmental aspects. And that's a that's the best thing that can happen to the ecosystem. Very true, very true. And I mean, actually this year, so much has happened and we have gone through a lot of it today. So I know it will be difficult, but in your opinion, if you have to pick, what would be the top five developments in last 12 to 18 months that you have seen, which would have significant impact for the industry? And let me just say that you can't name Global Fintech Festival as one of the positive ones because it is actually undoubtedly, undoubtedly true, but let's exclude that. No, got it. So, so let me try and find the ones which may not have been noticed by the larger ecosystem. Yeah. So one is this whole evolving of Gift City and IFSCA in a, in a free zone. So we all keep talking about India for the world, right? And for right. fintech and a financial services, that's the real opportunity. That you could be a company out of Gift are doing everything in multi-currency and actually servicing the world. And you will see a regulatory regime there which is evolving to support you there. So that's one development I see a far-reaching implication. I think mm. most of the ecosystem locally and globally are yet to assess and understand the implications. That's a huge one. Probably five years down the line, we do another podcast, I can remind you, and then you'll have 20 examples. Uh, yeah. One example connected to it is, uh, which is again possible because of that. Uh, I don't know if you heard the news that NSC is now operating about 21 hours for, if I'm not wrong, Gift Index and uh, mm. SX, which is about 16 hours. So, you know, the whole fintech is about real time, right? And 24 by 7, right. ultimately. But how many other than banking today, which we have all evolved, most of the other services are yet to reach there. And if you see NSE's attempt here to be that larger number of hours of operations for other global markets, I think it's a first attempt and it's a huge implication. Imagine eventually your stock market. And I, I at least haven't come across any other example where so many number of hours, any stock market or any securities uh, exchange is working. So it's a one mm -hmm. good direction. Imagine... And please understand that the growth and a volume and an impact is all about number of hours of trading in this kind Correct. of a sector. Right? It's all about velocity. Like in money, we look at velocity here, it's all about number of trading hours. 
which will increase the velocity. So again, imagine 24 by 7 exchanges, right? Right from India and probably Indian exchange and more exchanges. So that's another implications, I think, huge far-reaching. And again, it will impact the whole ecosystem around. Now, the third one, I think, uh, we, I, we probably talked about in the last, I think the whole evolution of the fintech department. Uh, we all know that we need some sort of integrated framework for, in terms of policy and regulation for fintechs to grow, right? And they need some sort of a single window to then talk to everybody. And I think the development of setting up a fintech department by RBI in that direction is amazing. While it started working, but we are already seeing a lot of implication. And again, connected to that is the CBDC which they are in charge of, right? This is a, right. another sort of fourth interesting development. I personally believe that in a five to seven years time, this could be 10x of what you see UPI, if done right. And again, right. Uh, this is only retail. I know a lot of people still confuse about what UPI is and what CBDCs, how is it different? And why do we need a retail CBDC versus when we have UPI? But the realities are very different. You're talking apple oranges. Actually, you're talking probably plants and uh, animals. I would put it that way, more drastically. So I think those clarity will start coming in. and that and not to forget the whole global aspects of it, right? The whole uh, wholesale CBDC in a global environment, besides local environment. So the whole CBDC will have a huge implications and uh, development as that is launched. I think I did five, right? Already. I could go on <laughs> otherwise. Last I would add IRDA new regulations and new papers that are coming in. Yeah. So that's another area which... Uh, insurance is one of the most uh, underpenetrated segment right in this year the number of times that we have heard uh, insurance related innovations and changes are probably again very large in number in so many years yeah so do out for that yep yeah, yep. so, absolutely you touched upon insurance very important the another thing which i think is has happened this year is in a way this financial influencer bit on the internet has sound, done some damage, uh, but it has brought a topic into conversations of normal people, which was not in their thoughts as well. So at least it has got them to start thinking about it, talking about it. It may in the start result in some wrong decisions, but over a period of time, at least the literacy goes up. And that is huge, which will help across financial services to increase their penetration and give the right product in the hand of the people. And I think Sebi has stepped in. That's fantastic. So that we need this influence, but we need slightly the right information to flow through and not incorrect information. So net notifications, regulators have done meaningful things in last year, right? That's what yeah. I was trying to describe. And far-reaching implications, all of them. Correct, correct. Absolutely. Actually, now, Naveen, I want you to put your investor hat back up and uh, just let us know what are the two, three interesting fintech models or fintech companies that you have seen in the past year? And what are the two, three models that you're most excited about for the next year? Well, I think, I mean, so it's like partly free advice, but my <laughs> Okay, let me focus on investment side, like you said. Right. So if I go sector by sector, right? And if I, mm. I can also correlate it with the, my investments. If you look at right. payments, right? I still continuously find the whole credit card issuance opportunity extremely exciting. Mm -hmm. Whichever model you work, I mean, you get a direct license from RBA if they give or you work with the banks. The reality is that there are six, seven hundred billion customers in the credit bureau and you still have, let's say, 100, 110 million cards. And this is not even unique. This is a huge delta. Yeah, yeah. It has to bridge that gap and those who are 
people credit worthy why can't they get a card the reality is they don't have to get so that's one area uh, within payments again a lot is aspired by rbi already on the international remittance market and everything to do with forex and international transactions i think uh, still an area we haven't seen so far so many amazing fintechs around it but i see that as a still very very interesting area again uh, no business model issues businesses where there are all kind of issues i know that even if i get some let's say uh, fee from in dollar there is hardly any transparency even when i work right. investor so so those two areas in payments you we talked about insurance obviously it's a mm-hmm. still a very worthy market but uh, the whole distribution aspect of it the simple the fact is that let's say if you have a vehicle insurance the reality is everybody is saying the same premium while globally for donkeys here that's not the model the model is it's based on how you drive who you are what's your behavior and we all know that the technology exists but the the real issue is not the technology but how does the ecosystem work together to make that important you know so i just give, use this as an example so yeah. insurance remains a huge huge uh, opportunity on the credit side again generally there is a quite high under penetration but uh, one area that i've been kind of liking lot more that uh, microfinance bit where incidentally i'm also part of a board of a company which is doing amazingly well whatever traditional microfinance companies were doing the way they were doing if there are new age institutions doing it a lot more digitally they mm. would win a lot. and that's the way to and by the way the microfinancing is also about 100000 to 200000 tickets even if you go in a rural areas if they are running a proper business they need that kind of a money so it's no longer right like you know 1000 3000 5000 kind of these guys yeah. india is growing their economy uh, and their economic wealth is growing so again it's a very interesting play what else mm-hmm. have left wealth side well there are models that i find exciting and interesting but i'm not seeing solutions yet so mm-hmm. let's say india has created a lot of uh, let's say now millionaires billionaires and while there are a lot of people who are calling you traditionally for a wealth management but i don't think those people who have a real 100 to 1000 crore plus wealth they don't really have a proper solution nor any advice right. now with the mm-hmm. tech will work whether the hybrid will work the reality is that's one area i don't see any i also see a huge opportunity in this space with the tokenization becoming the norm especially of a physically movable assets or any other even movable assets right because that gives you fungibility to that assets in terms of liquidity in terms of leverage so right. i see that as in a very interesting area a lot more work needs to be done these are more 3 to 5 year kind of a outlook mm-hmm. these are some right. of the areas of course some of these reflect in our decision to invest in a let's say company like insurance they go to procap to a new or uh, even one card personally so so yeah these are the thesis that i personally am excited excellent navin thanks a ton for uh, speaking with us today in case our audience wants to get in touch with you to explore opportunities to collaborate or team what's the best way to do this uh, just connect me on linkedin and send a message and the context that's easiest and the best way to do it in today's time excellent I'll include all those uh, details in the show notes uh, so f- folks can also reach out to you. Thanks once again for coming on the show and spending time with us. It was a great conversation with you. Thank you. So that's a wrap from India Fintech Diaries for this year. We hope you have enjoyed listening to our episodes this year as much as we have enjoyed creating them. If you have any suggestions on how we can improve it further in the coming year, please reach out to us. Wishing you happy holidays and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you.